study a creature that, by all the laws of nature, should have died a quarter of a million years ago. They dared to bring him back alive from his haunts deep in the jungles of the Amazon. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep while thousands came to marvel and wonder. You know, I, I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. The only one of his kind in the world. If anything goes wrong, you head straight for the surface, you understand? All right, let's go. They dared to study him, to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange being from the dawn of time. Hey, look, he broke the chain! Welcome back, everyone, to a very special spooky edition of Pop Culture Historians. You know, I don't know if we did this last year. I know we didn't do it last year. I don't know if we talked about doing it last year, but uh, coming up with like a spooky version of Pop Culture Historians, I don't know. I can't, nothing really comes to mind. But, uh, you know, (laughs) something something in the back of the mind. One develops over the next six weeks. Maybe we'll. uh, Maybe we will uh, start utilizing that. Uh, yeah, it's a six-week limited spooky series. Uh, we're back on our Halloween Universal Monster Movie games. My name's Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. Jimmy, how you doing this, uh, this uh, very, uh, very fearful evening? Well, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm, never, I'm never going to another aquarium. Uh, you know what? Right when you think it's safe to go back in the water. <laughs> Here we are again. Yeah, we should probably set up a little... I know we talked about it last week, but it's possible sure. we're just jumping into this uh, without listening to anything that we've done before. And uh, I would understand, because this, this is a very different thing for us. Sure. Last year, for Halloween, we covered the Universal Monster Movie Essentials Collection. It's all your big hitters. Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, it's, it's important I should mention that, and uh, it'll be clear why in a second. Notably, Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, all these, all these big hits. Yeah. Um, the Mummy. Yeah. Uh, what else? Invisible Man. Invisible Man. Phantom of the Opera. The 1940s Opera. edition with Claude Rains. Yes. Uh, you know, and this year we were kind of trying to come up with uh, something else to do 
for Halloween. We had so, so much fun with it. And we decided, you know what? In the spirit of the film industry itself, what's better than a sequel? Let's just <laughs> do it again. <laughs> Except this time bigger. I think we're doing more. I think we're doing like four more. We're doing one extra year. week, yeah. 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 To cover all the, all the sequels. Not all the sequels, all the different franchises. Right, uh, right, right, right. So we're so just that- doing the, the twos and threes for every franchise. With exception, exception of Frankenstein, because we already did his sequel. Mm-hmm. Yes, you will and not be all... seeing Bride of Frankenstein uh, in this series. We already did it. Go back and listen to that episode. It's a good one. The, the only one of the sequels that's considered essential by the Universal, uh, whoever whoever is in charge of signing that for Universal. Uh, yeah. William Universal, I believe <laughs> is his name. Friends um, home, Bill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not that tight with him, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, and I think a question that we can ask ourselves as we go through these is, is that, is that urge? Is there another sequel that could be considered an essential? I'm going to guess probably not, but you never know. We are going to be putting our boots on the ground. We're going to be watching these, uh, and we're going to start right now uh, in kind of a fortuitous uh, pairing. It's the two sequels to Creature from the Black Lagoon, kind of where we left off last Halloween, uh, right, and as far as the ordering goes, we haven't seen any of these movies going into this. No, so you know, there's no intentional ordering as far as like, uh, you know, with, with that for for knowledge. Uh, last year, we went in order of release. We did, we did the eight movies in order they were released in real life, but we decided not to do that this year. No, uh, this year we're we're going by franchise. We're doing the sequels. By franchise, and with one exception, didn't seem like the order mattered. And so we're, I kind of went from what, in my opinion, what in our opinion was like least Halloween-y to most Halloween-y. Yeah, I, I have a good feeling about it. That's maybe the one thing about uh, last year. It's like, could we have done it differently? Because we started off with a bang, Dracula and Frankenstein. Doesn't get any more Halloween-y than that. And we ended with Phantom of the Opera and Creature from the Black Lagoon, two fine films, but maybe not as uh, maybe not as classically Halloween. So we're gonna see if we can kind of fall into it this year. We're gonna find out. We're gonna this is gonna be this is a real time experiment. Uh, I guess we can just get started. I mean, is there any yeah. other, any, any other uh, groundwork we need to lay here? Uh, um, these are double features for us. We ah, will do yes. these Halloween movies. We do two, uh, and. We'll have a little intermission where we, we rank some Halloween-themed stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, th- this week we're going to be starting off with a nice nice and easy one. It's a classic one. Uh, are we going to reveal it now, or should we make people yeah. wait until they get oh. the intermission? Let's make them wait. Yeah. yeah sorry. You just got to get to the <laughs> movie first before you can buy the snacks. You know, like how that works in a movie theater. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, double features, uh, it helps us cover more ground. It's kind of in the spirit of how these movies were made. I mean, even, even this first movie we're talking about was technically part of a double feature with a completely unrelated movie. So, yeah, just sit back, relax. Let's just get started. We're going to get started with 1955's Revenge of the Creature. Revenge of the Creature, released May 13th, 1955, although it had a March 23rd, 1955 Denver premiere. I don't know what that's about. When you think when you think Black Lagoon, you think the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> uh, directed by uh, directed by Jack Arnold, came back from the directing the first one, 
Uh, Rico Browning returns as the at least the underwater version of the Gill Man. Uh, on land, he's played by someone different. That would be Tom Hennessy. A couple newcomers, John Agar, Lori Nelson, John Bromfield are our leads. And a returning face in the very beginning, Nestor Paiva as Lucas, the owner of the ship, Rita 2, which once was Rita 1. Uh, before we jump in, uh, an audible, because I want to also kind of set the stage here a little bit. These are going to be looser than our normal movie things. I want to go to like cast lists and then like we give out awards, all this stuff. There's so much to cover. We, we don't have time for any of that. So this is going to be kind of like a looser, just kind of, it's like an extended version of just, it's like just general observations and feelings, uh, more or less. Do we want to see what our uh, resident movie critic, Leonard Malton, think, thought about these movies? Is that something that interests you? Sure, yeah. Let, let, let me think. Yeah, all right. Uh, it's a Halloween edition of Lenny's Film Corner. We even have some spooky film music here. I don't know what that means yet, but that's a problem for... It's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you think you gave Revenge of the Creature? I'm going to say two and a half stars. Two stars. Not two bad. Two stars, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay sequel to Creature from the Black Lagoon destroys much of that film's mystery and terror by removing Gilman from Amazonian home and placing him in Florida Oceanarium, originally in 3D. Oh, a casting note uh, that I didn't mention, but... Uh, is notable. Clint Eastwood has his first screen role as lab technician. We will was... talk about that. <laughs> uh, do uh, let's just hard launch right into it. Jimmy, he gave it two stars. Said it was just okay. Ruined some of the terror and mystery of the first one. What do you think? Do you agree or disagree with Leonard Malton on this one? I think I'm harsher on it than Leonard Malton. Harsher? Oh, interesting. Okay. I I just thought like. I just thought it was boring. <laughs> like, 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 he's right that it did destroy some of the terror and mystery. And, and like, a lot of the underwater sequences, while be, really being technically well done, I thought were just, it's, the, he was chained up the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't, it wasn't yeah, exciting to me. And then, like, the love story, there was no conflict. Like, I was like, okay, they're brewing up a love triangle. Not really. It's just. Right. She just picks one of them right away, and the other guy just died. And then, you know what I mean? It's it just like, I mean, any, it, almost anything interesting they could have done, they decided not to do. And then, of course, he breaks out, which he knew he was going to. And that was probably the, the best part of the movie, but that was only with like 10 or 15 minutes left. And even then, it kind of like did a, a redo. Like, you had the, the main couple on the boat, because when there's a monster they've been studying that broke out they decided to take a vacation um and the monster stalking on he's like swimming beneath them like this is the exact same thing they did in the first movie i don't know i just i found this movie very frustrating it's interesting um because first of all watching these relatively back to back i didn't watch these in the same setting but like the, these two sequels feel kind of similar to me like to the point where like i'm kind of getting them mixed up like you describing this movie made me afraid like wait <laughs> which one are we talking about right now because that sounds it sounds it sounds very close to um the third one uh, creature walks among us but uh of course um i realized no no we're we're right we're, we're we're talking about the right one it's the first sequel but i think that speaks to kind of like there might not be a whole lot more to do with creature from the black lagoon 
than what was done in the first one. It's kind of a one to one. Uh, that said, I'm 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 higher on this than you. Shockingly, I don't think it's great. I, it's obviously inferior to a creature from the Black Lagoon, and there's nothing really. What it really misses is that uh, the first movie was really good at like building suspense and horror, right? I mean, there's always like that, like there's that classic scene where like she's swimming and like he's kind of coming in from the depth, and like it's such like a potent metaphor that like it got used in like a true crime doc I saw somewhere to kind of illustrate like <laughs> the creeping terror of like something you can't see, but like is nevertheless like coming for you. It's, it's good stuff. There's nothing like that in this, in no. uh, Avengers of the Creature. Not and, at all. No, and they do copy it a little bit, but it, it feels they like try. Copy, it's, it's not a, yeah, not an interesting original. Yeah, and removing him from the Black Lagoon, I thought the best part of the movie was the very beginning when they were back in the Black Lagoon trying to hunt, and I was worried about the movie being too similar, and ultimately I think it was. But there was something about that setting that heightened things, right? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I do think once they leave the like jungle, the lagoon, I guess, um, and take it in, like where they like in Florida or something. Yeah, or, it, was like, a, it was a because they wanted the swamp setting at the end. So yeah, it does take place. Yeah, it's yeah, it does kind of lose a step. And you're right. There's you kind of know where it's going immediately because it's, it's basically. This is King Kong, right? Right, we exactly. A, we took a beast from its, we took its beast from its normal habitat. We chained it up and we poked and prodded it, and then it broke out and went nuts. I, I do think it approaches that Xerox copy of another movie, like genuinely. Like I think this movie really did want to say something, <laughs> and I think there's some interesting character stuff. I agree, the love story isn't really interesting, and there's not really any conflict. But I think. Like, the main girl is kind of, like, approaching, like, an actual character, which feels, <laughs> like, not possible for a 1955, like, Monster movie sequel. Um, there, there are ideas buzzing around in this movie's head, and I, it's hard for me to discount it too much. And I don't want to give away, you know, my feelings about number three too much, but I do feel like that's is what separates these two for me. Is it, like, I feel like there's an attempt to make an actual movie here. I even think there's some interesting, like, there's, like, a whole conversation on the beach between, like, the main guy and the main girl kind of talking about, you know, they're both, like, oceanographers or, like, scientists or something, right? And they're kind of talking about, like, she kind of feels trapped because societal norms kind of dictate that she doesn't have as much freedom to be, a, you know, clearly just be a scientist as maybe he does, which is, it's not elegant. It's not poetry. It's also not something that it's... We've, it's not something we've never seen before, but I think sometimes 50s movies get this reputation as being really, like, gender normative. I don't know if that's the term I'm looking for. And I kind of see that in the kind of, like, an otherwise tossed away double feature movie. Struck me as notable. And maybe maybe we discount, not we, you and I, but we as a collective kind of discount that, you know, not everyone was, like, stuck in the past in the 50s. So just little things like that. But I agree, it's not... It wasn't scary like at all. Um, <laughs> and anything that was kind of scary was just from the first one. So it's like, did they really need to make this? Probably not. But um, it, it's it, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I was kind of surprised by it. That's not I, art. I, not art, though. No, I, I I'll give you that. I do think it was. It's a very competent movie. Um, like the underwater sequences were really well done and. An achievement for their time, I think, and even an achievement for today, because it was just CGI and 
And yep. so, um, you know, the underwater sequence was very well done. You know, it was a very competent movie. The script was competent. It just, I felt like, I don't know, like, they're just... It's missing something. It's missing something. All the characters were maybe just a little too professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I hear you. And, and then also, it also had the awkward thing of our main protagonist, like, torturing the creature. But we're supposed to be on their side. Um, and right. they weren't torturing him. I mean, that's, okay, that's dramatic. But they're, but, they're, but they're, like, poking and prodding him and kind of, like... Yeah. And they're trying to train him with a... You know, yeah. with a, And maybe that's something that was just more more okay at the time around like these days when people use those cattle prods people get upset but they were probably very common back in the 50s so it's definitely something about like part of it doesn't age that well and i think there was even a line of dialogue where the girl kind of reflects on how like she kind of feels bad about it mm-hmm. um, but like they still don't really go into it too much right because the only reason they do that is for at the end when the guy like tries to get into that behavioral stuff and it makes the creature drop her. Right. You know, there's no, there's really no thematic value to it. And so like we spent so much time of the movie and I say so much, it was, but it was still like there's decent sequences that were dedicated to them trying to train this thing just for that little payoff. It was just, I don't know, anticlimactic. And, um, I hear what you're saying. I do think the the girl in this movie was interesting, and when she did start talking about like how she feels trapped, that was interesting. I just want to. I wish it went somewhere. Because after that, I, yeah. the rest of the movie was just the monster stalking her, and I'm not sure what the metaphor there was. You know. Yeah. No, I'm with you, and like it should be notable. It really is just like that one scene, right? And I think that's kind of speaks to why this movie feels a little unsatisfactory. Like. <laughs> I mean, it has it has ideas, right? Right. Well, there was that one scene earlier where the reporter talking to her was like, "What a woman in science!" But like, but that was um, like kind of that was kind of cornball, even with like the fifties. Yeah. Like, that's like, yeah. that's like, yeah, like if you made a TV show now set in the 50s it would be like a scene like that, and you'd be like, "Okay, I don't know if people really like said it quite like that." Um, <laughs> but I think you speak to something here, like again, like with the cattle prodding, and like it was probably normalized back then. I'd be curious to know what an, uh, the average audience member was for this. Cause this was not like a prestige film, right? This was like for teenagers to like go on dates and see and get scared. And like, you know, that's, that's what this felt like to me anyway. So I don't know if it's like, it wasn't like a thing where like everyone went to go see this thing. Um, but I'd be one, I'd be curious to know what the average audience member felt about seeing something normalized, like a cattle prod being used on like, <clears throat> kind of a sympathetic monster to me, um, the Gill man. And maybe that's something that like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's killing think people. about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's killing people, but not, like, because he's evil, just because he's an animal. <laughs> yeah, he's not the invisible man, where he's just like, I'm right. a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> but it isn't really followed up on. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff where, like, as I'm sitting here kind of thinking about it, like, things I think I liked, I'm sitting here going, like, maybe I'm doing the work for the movie, because I think the parallel between like the uh, Helen, I guess is her main name. Um, Helen, that's her first name. Mm-hmm. Also known as your main name, I guess. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the Gilman are both kind of trapped creatures. So I, I thought maybe the Gilman chasing her was like out of like sympathy, like let's be together. But like, that is me kind of doing a little bit of the work for the movie. Cause it, what literally happens is he just stalks her and like grabs her and like, <laughs> 
so like it's not really it's hard for me to tell if it is it really just is is it actually there I, and they just I'll didn't you, do it or am i like am i trying to like find one plus one somewhere like that's all i'll give you this i do think i think it works the other way i think she was a bit sympathetic to him because she r- related to being trapped there you go okay I, i'll give you that but he, he i just think he has a type right she looks exactly the same as the woman in the first movie Yep, he he likes blondes. Yeah, you know, I get it. Um, he it um, so I, I think going back to like the uh, cattle prod stuff, like he's mentioned that there's like a scene where like she kind of feels bad about it, but that's really all there is ever again in right. terms of commentary or textual something. So I think that kind of speaks to like it wants to be something, and I think given the limitations, that this doesn't feel like a. Well, it might be higher budget than you think. The underwater things are not easy to do, even though they are a little bit, they're a little bit muddier than the first one, I will say. They're a little bit fuzzier in look, mm-hmm. but that, that couldn't have been easy. So I don't know. I just, maybe like, it's maybe like another draft and a half away from like maybe really being something kind of special, but there's a lot left on the table. I agree. And that's yeah. why it's inferior to the first one. Like it just, it just is. Yeah. Because <laughs> even that first one, they, they, because these movies feel so professional, but this one almost feels too professional. That first one still had like a pseudo love triangle and a rivalry and a and a guy doing stupid stupid stuff because mm-hmm. of that of that jealousy and and so that was I mean it wasn't overt. Everyone was still was professional, but you just had people like making these really irrational decisions based off of like stuff that was going on, and I didn't feel that here. Agreed. I do think the acting's a little stiff in this. And maybe that's part too. of it. Um, that, that could be part of it. Yeah, I think sometimes the fifties get this bad rap for being like this very like sterile decade for movies. But you see something like this, you kind of go like, well, there there might be a point there because it is very much just like, hello, is, Helen. Da 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 da. My it name is Sarah. Clay yeah. Edwards or whatever. Hey, let's um, go to dinner tonight. But I'm already going to dinner with him. <laughs> yeah, the whole movie feels like that. Yeah, the whole and movie then, is like that. Yeah, there's no, there's no hurt feelings. No, no one like getting angry at each other. Yeah, it was just there's no conflict between any of the characters other than the Gilman. And what it's missing from like the essentials, at least I can't. Just, I don't know how representative this is of all the sequels just yet. Pride of Frankenstein, notwithstanding, which is a fantastic movie. I, I what this is missing. There's always at least like one little oddball element to the classic Universal Monster movies, like the really famous ones, whether it's Claude Rains going off the fucking rails and Invisible <laughs> Man, or whether it's just like, um, I don't have her name in front of me, but the old woman who kind of pops up in a lot of these things and just kind of starts screaming her head off. Um, like Brian and Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know what you mean. U- Uda O'Neill oh, or something, man. I think. She was so um, annoying yeah. in the Invisible Man, but go on. <laughs> yeah, she's, it's, a little goes a long way, for sure. <laughs> but like, this, what this is missing is something kind of like bonkers that like mm-hmm. I think the classic ones really have. It's just very just like point A to point B to point C to point D. So yes, it's competent, but it, you don't really think about it again. Like if we did this like a week from now, I would have forgotten anything that happened in this movie. There's like straight up. Like <laughs> that's that's kind of disappointing. It is. And honestly, like part of the reason the beginning was also the most engaging is it had that captain in it, right? Oh, yes. We must he talk was, about him. Was, I thought he was great. He was, well, he was great in the first one. And he was great in this one, too. And, like, mm-hmm. when he left the film, so did every interesting character. Jimmy, you're so right. <laughs> um, I thought it was actually kind of cool to have him uh, come back. I think it helped for me because I think 
uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon was the last one we did last year. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like a it was sort of like a marathon sprint, much how I think this one's gonna feel like. And by, by the end, like I almost remember like Dracula and Frankenstein more clearly, even though I watched them longer ago than Creature from the Black Lagoon, just because it's like we're getting to the end. So I was worried, like I don't know if I remember much from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Then yeah, the captain comes back. Um Lucas, I guess is his name. Yeah, Lucas. Yeah. Um and all kind of came back to me like, oh, that's right, I remember him. I remember really liking him. And I remember this is kind of how the first one starts. And even though it kind of made it seem like the movie might just be doing the first one over again, uh, I, I I wouldn't have been mad at that. I think he's great. And he even kind of like sets up like, oh, you know, last year, a bunch of bunch of crazy Americans, like just like you came in here and tried to like do something. So it kind of had like a nice way of kind of easing me back into this. And I, uh, I think that a lot of that speaks to his charisma and his natural ability as a character actor. Yeah. And as soon as he left, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. The movie kind of loses something. But I also think, because he's kind of an oddball, right? He's got a different way of talking, a different way of thinking about things, uh, versus everyone else in the movie is a scientist. No, you're right. That's exactly right. Um, including, we alluded to this at the top, well, then you did. Uh, I think uncredited Clint Eastwood. This is his first <laughs> film role, Jimmy. That's, that's nuts. He's, he has one line and it's really awkward. This is another example of, I think I know what they're trying to do, but I, I guess there's not enough there for me to be sure. Uh, we should probably break down his little scene here. He's like an, in, <laughs> he's like an intern at the lab or something. Yeah. or He's, he, like a, he's a lab intern. <laughs> yeah. And, and eating mice. Because he, uh, the, the main hero is an animal psychologist. I guess and that's not a technical term, but he studies animals and how they behave and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and was it? Yeah. Um, the the thesis was that animals, given sufficient like food and even violent animals, won't won't kill if they have food given to them. You know, like so, if a tiger is well fed, you go into the cage with the tiger; he's not going to attack you. Is the is the idea? Makes sense. And so um, a mouse has gone missing, right? Yeah, there's supposed to be four mice, but they only see three. And so she's kind of coming in like, I have a problem, boss. Like, I'm, I'm missing a mouse. Someone, someone killed it, I think. Yeah. Something killed yeah. it. Yeah. And where, where did you end up finding that fourth mouse? <laughs> Silly Clint, Clint Eastwood. That mouse is in his pocket. So what I think, I think this is supposed to be like... Men trying to like, not men, but like man, you know, mankind trying to like, you know, trying to mess with like nature of animals without even knowing what they're doing in the first place. Like they can't even keep track of how many animals they have, I think, but it's not really, not even followed up on, but it's never like thematically seen through. So it kind of just feels like this weird scene where like by the end of the movie, you're like, remember that scene where Clint Eastwood had like a mouse in his pocket or something? Like it's kind of in isolation and you almost wanted to see that underlined somewhere else in the movie whether by like a not like a similar thing happening but just like another example of like someone kind of like a one of our main characters stumbling into like making a human error or something and then that kind of causing which i guess you could argue maybe happen but it's just it's 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 a weird scene it's a weird scene it generally felt because it's clint eastwood right obviously they didn't have any idea you know, maybe someone thought he was talented, but no one had any idea he would turn into the big star. He would 
10 years from this movie being made. Um, yeah, no, but right. it generally felt like a celebrity cameo. I mean, there's, there's no mm-hmm. way around it. Like, it, it felt like, ooh, you know, Clint Eastwood wants to be in our movie. We need to write a scene for him. Um, <laughs> which is so bizarre because obviously it's just for his acting role. Obviously, that's not what happens, but. Yeah, no, it feels for all the world. It's kind of funny how things kind of feel retroactively like something, even when they can't be. Like, this is not related. <laughs> just a big surprise. Um, my, have you ever seen New York, New York, like the 70s Scorsese musical? I have, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's the movie that the song New York, New York is written for. The movie, the, the movie kind of invented the song. And a big part of the uh, movie, for those who haven't seen, is like the writing of the song. So those scenes were like, uh, they're writing it and De Niro's like, I don't know, Vagabond Shoes? Does that really make any sense? And it feels like a retroactive, like, it feels like, yeah, no, I, I, I've seen it. I know what you mean. Like, it feels like the song was, because the song is so famous. So when right. I went to go watch the movie, I, and they started like playing, I was like, oh, they, the song inspired this movie. Okay. Like this famous song and they decided to make a movie about, you know, where like the main characters are writing the song, but no. The song came from the movie. Like, like it, the, the movie feels like it feels like the, it feels the song b- built around a pre-existing out. song. Yeah, so it feels like the song should have came out five years prior to the movie, and there, and some Hollywood person was like, "Hey, what if we made a movie where we took this song and made it like the main theme?" Uh, but no, it's the other way around. Yeah, so that's some. I think I, I can connect this back. That's kind of what Clint Eastwood's scene felt like. It's like, oh man, we got like. We got the man with no name. We gotta, yeah, we gotta like give him some <laughs> wacky and oddball to do. But he was just, he was just like the super famous guy. I mean, he was just like the super handsome guy who wasn't famous yet. So it's still honestly, kind of distracting. Yeah. Well, and it kind of like, if that wasn't Clint Eastwood, if that was played by some guy who never went on to, you know, be someone I recognized, I don't even know if I'd remember that scene. Like, it's just such a right. random scene, and I don't know what it had to do with anything. I was like, because you're a human error. Like, what what happens in the movie is they capture the the creature. The creature breaks his chains eventually, right? And then kill someone, get that. Like, it's not clear exactly what the human error is at the heart of the plot of this movie. I suppose, in a broad sense, it's like the the folly of man. But that's kind of a different thing, right? And Yeah, if that's what they're going for, I needed someone going like, you really think you can keep this creature locked up? Like, you're so arrogant, you think you can do this? But there was none of that. No one's really arrogant in this movie. (laughs) No, everyone's really cautious and thoughtful. Yeah, so it kind of kills it. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I didn't like this that much. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to talk you out of it. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not talked out of it. I mean, I wasn't like, this is a five-star movie. I'm going to tell everyone about it. I was just sort of surprised because, again... Not to, not to spoil the ending of this episode, but like, what we got in the third movie was what I was expecting from the second movie. Do you know? You know? Yeah, like, I know what you mean. So the fact that this had like any kind of thoughts rolling around in his brain at all, I think I graded it on a curve. Um, well, and, like, it is, you know, it is entertaining. I, I mean, interesting. I I feel like the third one did have some thoughts. We'll get to it when we get to the third one. Yeah, it'll be an interesting conversation for sure. But um, I, I actually like the third one better than this one. Oh, well, we are gonna. This is that. This is gonna be interesting because um, okay. I, I, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and it's entertaining. Like I think 
you know, I, I know you found this one kind of boring. I, I kind of felt like it zipped along. It's only 82 minutes. These movies are never that long. I think the longest one we ever had was like, uh, Phantom of the Opera might have been like 100 minutes or something. <laughs> um, maybe 90. But these are usually pretty quick and bite-sized, 82 minutes. And uh, again, I love that they end right when it's time for them to end. Like it ends with like the Gill Man gets shot up full of lead and then it's like the end. <laughs> like I love that. Yeah. More of yeah. that. They don't do that too much these days. I agree. No. There'll be a whole scene where it's like we're setting up the Universal Monster universe. <laughs> or Dracula even, would come out of the shadows. Even without that, there still would have been like at least one more scene with like the two main characters like on a boat together and like What have we done? Well yeah. <laughs> Let's reflect back on the movie. Um, yeah, I, I found it entertaining. Like it didn't, I didn't, I didn't find it as boring as you did. So it's just kind of interesting how that, how that works out sometimes. Um, yeah, I guess mostly my my complaints with the second act. I thought the first act was fair. fine. I thought the third act was fine. I just, I just didn't like that second act very much. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's the weakest part for sure, and. Uh, it's something that we're we're gonna we've seen a lot too, and you know, if this if this movie had invented the idea of like taking a creature from one place to another to like a you know, like a theme park or like a just a, just a science lab or wherever, um, you could kind of forgive it because then it's like the Seinfeld's not funny uh, trope, right? But this right. is already kind of a this is already kind of a retread in nineteen fifties. So the fact that it's been done better before and after doesn't speak well <laughs> to it. No, it doesn't. Um, and it is a logical idea, like, okay, the do the King Kong thing, because the lagoon was such a big part of the first one, bringing it to the U.S., it makes sense. It, just, it does, but then you almost have, like, that, like, what was, what was, was really cool about I, I think, the swamp thing? was the swamp, so it's part two. Let's take him out of the swamp. Yeah, exactly. And so it also kind of feels a little un, uninspired, I think. It's like... It's it, almost like they, just, like they took it the next... Pop, like the next, like the first idea you have for a sequel, and they just like went with right. it. Like, all right, chill. this is so popular. We need to make another one. Uh, what we King Kong? Oh, great idea. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to have a uh, Rico Browning back um, as the aquatic uh, Gill Man uh, again. Because uh, I guess this is constitutes sort of my final thought. I don't know if there's much more on your note list, but um, I think underwater stunts are easy to like discount at least for me because like i think they, they seem easy because it's just like there's like in water and like flipping around and stuff there's it's really hard and sneakily pretty dangerous and there's there's some harrowing stuff in here every once in a while you're like I, this shot's been holding for a long time um how much air do they have left <laughs> um and i think he's really skilled at that and like that's always been like his forte rico browning and um there used to be a time in hollywood where like being a good swimmer could give you a career. Um, there's like MGM stars for whole thing. So the whole thing was like swimming. Right. Right. And uh, I don't know. I just want to be able to like shout him out a little bit. Cause I think he's easily like the best part of both of these movies so far. I agree. Gilman is the best part, which is also part of the problem with the third one. And we'll get to that. When we get to that. But mm-hmm. um, I agree. The underwater sequences were really well done. Like I said, I think they are a, like a technical achievement. There's a lot about this movie and the first movie. That is a technical achievement as far as like the the art of making a film. It's just the first one also had a more interesting script, I think, and a more interesting setting. 
You said the first one? Yeah, the first one. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, the first one, yeah, it's kind of hard to recommend anyone see, uh, you know, t- just watch the first one thus far. No, we'll see. Uh, it feels like we're heading down to a showdown for number three. Um, <laughs> a friendly one, but, uh, you know, I, it's hard to recommend anyone. It's like, you should watch one and two. It's like, thus far, I'm like, just watch one. Yeah. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> um, if you're really curious, you can watch two and... Well, we'll get to three when we get to it. Yeah. Do we want to rate this? Because we're not giving out MVPs and stuff. But do we want to give it like a quick, like out of ten rating at all? Sure. I don't remember what I gave any of the movies last year, but we can do it. I don't. I don't even remember if we did it last year. We <laughs> may not have. Um, but we're gonna do it this year. Uh, we're gonna rate these out of ten. Obviously, uh, Leonard Malton gave it two out of four stars. Um, I'd give this like a hearty. <laughs> Trying to remember some objects from this, a six and a half, uh, <laughs> six and a half mice in Clint Eastwood's pocket out of ten. That seems kind of high, but hey, you liked it. I mean, I think yeah. it's valid, and it is. Yeah, you you made you made a lot of really good points about the the virtues of the movie, which there are virtues for this movie. So, I think that's fair. I'm gonna give it five mice out of Clint Eastwood's pocket. I think that's I think yeah. that's I think that's perfectly fair. It's, it's, I think it's a perfectly it's, it's a perfectly average movie. Like, I, it, it's not a train wreck. It's just, and, and there are some good sequences. Like, um, best sequence in the movie, I thought, was when they're dancing in the dance hall at the end, and the, mm-hmm. the creature gets out because he's stalking the main woman, and he goes to the dance hall, and everyone, like, freaks out, and he freaks out. Like, that was actually, that was a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a genuinely creepy movie, which was lacking for the rest of the movie. I felt, I, I feel like... If they had spent less time in the aquarium, let them escape a little bit sooner and have more creepy moments like that, it would have been a better movie. That's just completely, completely agree. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm getting kind of hungry. Uh, I was going to go down to the lobby real quick and uh, maybe we can discuss our uh, Halloween uh, <laughs> top three topic for this week. What do you say? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome, everyone, to our first intermission special of the 2023 Halloween double feature season. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, something we did last year, we alluded to in the last segment that this is a, uh, our second uh, series of Universal Monster Movies. Uh, last year, in between the movies, we hung out here in the lobby of the uh, Pop Culture Historians Theater and started ranking our top three favorite Halloween items. Uh, we covered uh, what was it, best candy, favorite t- episode of TV, Halloween-themed from like shows and stuff. And then we also did a favorite movie too, I believe. Favorite movie. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Looking back, we did a lot of heavy hitters like right out the gate. Um, <laughs> uh, Cause you know, you, you, you put everything on the table that you possibly can. And now here we are 
got to come up with six more of these. Uh, <laughs> but I think we have a couple of uh, really, really fun ones. Actually, all six of them are fun. Why am I undercutting our show like that? Every single one of these are really fun. But, you know, a couple of them are, like, really good. Uh, and we're going to start with a nice, easy one here. We're going to talk about our top three favorite Halloween decorations, uh, which I think can be interpreted any number of ways. I'm looking at it as just, like, it can be classic. It can be modern. It can be... Uh, it could be IP branded. I don't know. If you have like a spooky Snoopy, that counts. Um, but it could be, I, I suppose it could be homemade. I feel like that's maybe a little bit of an abstract uh, interpretation of decorations. But um, anything and everything's on the table uh, or up on the wall, as it may be. Um, who wants to start? Jimmy, do you want to kick us off here? Sure, I'll kick it off. Number three. Um, yeah, this one is number three because it's a bit vague. But, you know, when I, when I come back to, like, what, what sticks to me when it comes to Halloween decorations, um, I like really elaborate Halloween decorations. So more of an aesthetic versus a literal decoration for this first one. But I love during Halloween time, you drive by a house and it's just, like, normal house, normal house. Deck the fuck out with, like, gothic, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, imagery and... And horror and cobwebs on trees and just like I love I love those houses that just go go all out for Halloween or classrooms or like whatever the case may be. You know, it's funny that I'm Dan immediately kind of sent like a nostalgic chill up my spine because you're absolutely right. I think specifically it's when like there's only one house in the neighborhood doing it. For some reason that <laughs> that really adds to something. I don't know what that is. Uh yeah, I totally agree. Um, I do have a couple of quick runners up. I guess I should have asked you if you had any of those. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think it's the, the the big the big pumpkin in the room, as it were, is the jack o' lantern, which might end up being on your list. And, and if it if it does, I think that's perfectly valid. But to me, I feel like jack o' lantern. It could take this whole thing, to be honest. It's probably number one with a bullet. But it could be its own category. And in fact, it may end up being its own category. Uh, you will all find out soon enough. So to me, I feel like I have to put it honorable mention. It has to be acknowledged because it's classic. Everyone loves them. I wonder if it's its own category. And thus, I don't know if it's fair for me to like give it that number one spot. Because otherwise, it would get it. Um, another runner's up, and I'll give you my number three. I've always been a big fan of like the... Uh, I don't know what material it is, like fa fabric, <laughs> fabric witch that kind of uh, is up the, all flattened out and you kind of tape it to the wall and it looks like she crashed <laughs> into the wall. Yeah, yeah, and talking yeah. About, yeah. There's one I can see from my, uh, <laughs> practically from uh, the window that I'm standing at. Uh, someone put it up on a uh, telephone pole uh, with a little sign saying, don't text and fly. And that's just, that's just fun. <laughs> that's just fun. That's just fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. Lesson for us all. Not, kind of a novelty item, but uh I had to give it out there. My real number three is the classic spider web. Even, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's like the little bag you get from like, you can get from Michael's or Home Goods. It's, just a, it's a little, it's a little <laughs> fibrous thing that you pull out and you can toss on. It's kind of the same, uh, same principle at the house that you were talking about. Your number three, it's probably the spider webs they would have used. Um, they're classic. It's deceptively simple. They always look a little cheap and you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, this is, is going to look real. But it always, I don't know, it, it fits, it fits well, the theme. It fits the it, mood. It doesn't look real, which is part of the fun, right? Like, if it looked too real, you'd be like, this, what's wrong with this house? No, no, real, yeah, real spider webs are just more like a, hold on, I haven't, I haven't shined a light in this corner in a while. Ah, oh, crap. Yeah. 
even better a little bonus for number three if you toss a few uh plastic spiders in there that could be a lot of fun too agree, that's yeah. my that's my number three no that's a good that's a good choice i i'd i'd actually consider that so i guess that would have been a run, run off for me as well and we we actually have spider rubs we put up every year and sometimes with little thick spiders in them beautiful and rebecca's afraid rebecca's afraid of spiders there was one time a, a spider fell off and we were cleaning up. <laughs> she saw it and thought it was a real spider. Um, freaked out, but... Yeah, uh, I, get, I get it. Spiders are nasty. <laughs> yeah, all right. So what's your, what's your number two? My number two. Oh, we're alternate. We're going snake style. Um, number two, the classic orange pumpkin light. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, um, I, I think these often kind of get, I feel like they get used in movies a lot to kind of signify, maybe not a Halloween movie, but like this scene takes place in like in October. So like the bar that the characters are in, um, <laughs> just to indicate that it's Halloween time, they'll have like a little string of orange pumpkin lights. Um, this is sort of a nod to like, I wanted to get something kind of vintage in here. Um, I feel like those have kind of endured. Sometimes you look up like vintage Halloween <laughs> decorations from like 50s 60s and 70s and they all look kind of insane <laughs> <laughs> um but i think the orange pumpkin lights endure i think it's a satisfying color i think it i think that they illuminate well yeah they're just classic i think there's a reason why tv productions and you know it was for cheers i don't know if they did a whole lot of halloween episodes but i think there'd be episodes where in the background they'd have like a string of like halloween lights and they look just like that and that that, that takes me back nice yeah what about you? What's your number two? Uh, my number two, I did, I did consider this uh, valid for this particular ranking, is the jack o' lantern. The classic jack o' lantern. Yeah, um, kind of summed it all up in your your runner up, but it's just so iconic. Halloween. We're actually growing pumpkins in our backyard this year. What? And That's nice. a pumpkin plant is fucking nuts. I had no idea how. <laughs> I, like you know, pumpkin plants get big, right? Like okay. So we're going to leave like a couple feet from the other point. No, this thing has taken over our whole fucking garden. We put two in. Like we're, we're like looking back, like, what were we thinking? Like we put two in and now like our whole garden is just covered in pumpkin like plants, like so, pumpkin vines. It's a pumpkin spread, vine. like a freaking, yeah, it's, it's nuts how big this thing is. Um, it's going to so start we do pumpkins. We do pumpkins again next year. We're just going to do one. Put a little, <laughs> little pumpkin chalice up. But like we're growing pumpkins, we're gonna make a jack o' lantern with with Harper for the first time tonight. This year, not tonight, but this year, it's gonna be awesome. Jack o' lantern is such a fun tradition, and I um, you put a little candle in them. There, yeah, I just like it a lot. Uh, if if uh, the pumpkin seeds or the pumpkin vines start like moving around, talking and uh, singing at you to feed it, will you will you update the uh, podcast and let us know? Of course, yeah, okay. I'll get it some blood and it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, Dad, don't cut your finger. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess if we're going to snake style, I guess that means it's time for your number one. This this is maybe a little similar to my number three, but I do think it's a specific one I, I focus on that I always like. I love a really good graveyard in the in the front yard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's you know, I don't know. It's just iconic. It's classic. It graveyards are creepy, um, and the ones that do it really well can be kind of campy and kind of creepy at the same time. I love good graveyard. Agreed. I feel like I feel like there's a couple different directions you can go too. Like I've seen people just go with like the classic kind of like haunted mansion. 
style graveyards with like little puns on them like <laughs> here lies ben dover stuff like that and you can see people right. go really crazy with it and they'll like be like it'd be like <laughs> like toys covered in like fake blood and stuff and like they're coming out like it, you can really get kind of grizzly with them i feel like there's you a can, wide range you can. You can, yeah as you were saying it can go campy it can be really really like, specific <laughs> um yeah classic you can I go almost, kind of zombie yeah mm-hmm. you can go zombie so i was i almost i i thought about putting that on here um to be honest my number one i think just uh, allows for versatility that i think can be really fun it's kind of in the same vein as your graveyard and that the, the only limitation is your imagination and that's the posable skeleton not necessarily the big giant novelty ones that you can get from home depot that are all the rage i love those too um, I do think people should keep those out. You know what I'm talking about, right? The ones that kind of like almost as big as like the house. And like, it's, uh, have you seen these at all? They cost like yes, a I have. Bucks. I, yeah, the, the giant, the giant ones. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, people should keep those out year round and put like, little, <laughs> put like, you know, put, put some green on it for like St. Patrick's day or like, you know, uh, put a little Santa hat on it for Christmas. People never do that. And I think for the money you spend on it, you ought to get more use out of it. But I like I, I mean, like the standard posable skeleton. I feel like you can do almost anything with it. You can just have it kind of peeking out of like the uh, the window from the inside, staring at people outside. You can have them. I've seen people like place them on like their porch, like they're sitting there drinking a little cup of coffee. I think that's fun. Um, I've been, uh, I have, I've had a couple um, look like they're waving at me as you walk by. Um, they can just be part of the deck. They don't have to be the centerpiece. They can be part of uh, your aforementioned graveyard. They can kind of just be hanging out in there. Um, uh, it has to be posable, uh, not necessarily like a classroom version, like you would see like in a generic science class or something, where it's just like a skeleton in the corner. It has to be kind of like if you move its arm, it like stays. Right, right, I think, right. I think that that is a uh, it perfectly blends modern and vintage. Um, it also endures much like the Chris, uh, the Christmas lights, the pumpkin lights, because they're uh, fun. They take us back to how we feel as a kid, and now that we're adults, we can um, get a little creative with them. That's my number one. All choice. That's a good choice. A, a, a good skeleton is always a lot of fun. Um, and I think, you know, to your, your point too, it's also, like you said, limited by your imagination. You can do so much with it. Um, exactly. And what's so, the, and what is Halloween if not kind of an imagination-based um, holiday? Even more than like Christmas or... Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I agree. So yeah, those are our top three decorations. I think uh, I think our lists are done, and that's perfect because I think uh, the next movie is about to start. Oh boy, um, <laughs> time uh, to time to see what happens to our old uh, old friend Gilman for the last yeah. time. Let's see. Yeah, uh, I guess it's time to talk about the creature walks among us. So uh, uh, I'll I'll see you back over there. I gotta use the restroom real quick, but then I will. Uh, I'll, I'll see you back over there. All right. All right. Never before was science so determined. From the deeps of the Caribbean to the underwater jungles of the Everglades, they baited their trap and gambled their lives to put a daring dream to the test. Gentlemen, the creature can be changed. We can make the giant step and bring a new species into existence. Here was the grimmest cargo ever to reach civilization. 
Was this a new being created by a miracle of science? The fire burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. Or was this a beast made even more frightful by a mortal mind, more powerful by human emotion? Features of skin, they're more like a human's every day. Nineteen fifty-six is Creature Walks Among Us, Jimmy. Right, different, yeah, different director. Different director, Jack Arnold. Yeah, not no Jack Arnold this time. I I do feel I do feel like that shows in this movie, but yeah, it's actually like maybe like my number one complaint about it. Um, that's the overriding one because it does have virtues. Um, but my overriding thing might be the, uh, at the top here. It's uh, John Sherwood. He was the uh, longtime Universal assistant director. This was his directorial debut. Uh. He was Jack Arnold's assistant director, so it was just kind of like a, a Jack Arnold moved on. Kind of felt like he had moved on to like more A-list stuff. wasn't good, had nothing else to contribute to the horror genre, and they just moved up the next guy, and everything kind of shifted just like that. It premiered April twenty sixth, nineteen fifty six. A completely new cast outside of, of course, Rico Browning. Who else? But different guy on land. That would be Don McGowan. We have Jeff Morrow, Rex Reason, and Lee Snowden as our main three. We got two, we got two scientists. We got two male scientists and a girl. Uh, I can't believe they re, they they reinvented the whole thing uh, <laughs> really quickly. Uh, a special second edition of Leonard Maltin's Movie Corner. Um. You think he might have given the creature walks among us? I think he's gonna be harsh on I think he's gonna give it a one and a half star. You know, by net average, you nailed them both, but uh, not quite. You <laughs> get the two stars, two stars. Ah, damn, yeah, they're just the same, pretty much. Wow, okay, interesting. Yeah, sequel to Revenge of the Creature has Gilman Rico Browning on water, Don McGowan on land, captured by humans, subjected to surgery in hopes of humanizing him. Returning to the ocean after a few mild tantrums. Felt a little harsh. Uh, it does cut to immediately, like, I think what's the most interesting part about the movie. Um, I think the premise is very sound. I think it's a, I think it's actually, it probably should have been what the second movie should have been about. I think that's how, almost like the next thought after, what if we just bring him to, <laughs> bring him to Florida? It's like, what if we try to you turn him into a person? I think that's really, really fascinating. Um... But do I think the rest of the movie? I, should I just jump into general thoughts here? Do we want to? Like, I did. Play? I did have one thought I forgot to share with the previous movie that connects this movie. This yeah. one is accurately titled "Revenge 
of the creature. Not very accurately paddled. I agree. There's a He's little bit really of revenge good. there, but I wouldn't say that was the driving force. No, I, it was well, only revenge in the sense that, like, trying to run away after being kidnapped is like, that's revenge against your kidnappers. It's like, it's, I guess. It's you, not did kill, like, yeah. you did kill one of them, but... Yeah, but Revenge of the Creature makes it sound like I know what you did after the first movie, and now I'm coming to uh, <laughs> coming to settle your hash. And that's not really what happens here. But no, this is very accurately titled. The creature does, in fact, walk among us. <laughs> I actually could have used more walking among us. I was hoping for there to be like a scene like on New York Street with like a fedora or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I guess that would have been a little silly. Um, look, yeah, I'll just jump into it, and then. I guess the roles are reversed. Now I'm going to come in and say this uh, wasn't too hot, and then you can defend it. Uh, I think the main thing about it, I, I found this one genuinely boring, which is a shame because it's uh, it's like five minutes shorter. Um, so it kind of felt like this should be an easy watch, and it, it kind of wasn't for me. There are some good stunts. There's actually like two scenes that come to mind when thinking about this movie immediately, where I'm like, this seems really dangerous, and I'm amazed they did it. Um, I think that the, I thought the love triangle here, it's not really, I guess it's a love triangle. I don't know what you would call it. Um, it's, I found it kind of <laughs> awkward and that it didn't clearly connect to like anything else. Like this kind of felt like we need something for the humans to do a little bit. Um, I wasn't all that invested in it. And, it, you know, to set it up, it's like a, the main, the main one of the main scientists is married to like uh, the main girl. And she's spending a lot of time with, like, this other scientists, and, like, the husband's getting jealous and stuff. So there's a lot of, like, you know, how can you, how can you teach a creature about, I gotta be human? Like, did you teach him about, like, jealousy and all this stuff? It's okay. It just feels a little, felt a little melodramatic, even for these movies. <laughs> um, I, I think an argument can be made that maybe it is very effective. It just didn't work for me. I thought, that the, I just think the direction's boring and uh the movie just kind of sits there and uh i'm not exactly sure what happened um to be perfectly honest it's uh all the settings are there for like a very pretty decent sequel i think i think it takes too long to get to the main event which is the creature becoming becoming human and i feel like once they get there they don't do enough with it that might be that might that might be more of a script issue but i think if the movie were more exciting. I think I might have forgiven it a little bit more. Um, it just kind of feels like it's a franchise out of gas. I think it's. I think it says something that this was the last Universal Monster movie. Um, it just kind of felt. I don't know. It just kind of felt like the tank was empty a little bit. Um, and I, I didn't dig it outside of like a couple couple things here and there. There are some. Uh, there are some things. There are some highlights for sure, and we, we will talk about them. Uh, it just went, it didn't do it for me, unfortunately. What about you? Um, so I felt like this was a script that was originally meant for something else, and they're like, okay, we need a third, we need a third creature movie, so just put Gilman in it. Uh-huh. And so it did feel kind of awkward as far as that goes, and like the franchise running out of gas. Um, but I, I did think it tried to do some interesting things. Um, I did, I do think the, the love triangle, oh, okay. So you're right, it's not, it's, it's a love triangle. 
Yeah, and it's it is functionally, but it feels kind of weird to call it that. <laughs> it's sloppily done. Okay, uh, so the the whole idea is like um, the main guy who's behind this is a surgeon, and he thinks that Gilman can be humanity's key to surviving in outer space, uh, just due yes. to the you know the fact that he's a prehistoric creature who hasn't had to evolve, uh, but he's still resilient to everything, you know. So he's He's got some, some, not really clear exactly what Gilman is going to do to help them survive in our space, but whatever. Like, it's, they don't want you to think right. too much about it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And so he brings his beautiful wife, who is much younger than him, onto the, board, onto the ship. And he's clearly very possessive, right? I mean, from the start, he's a very possessive character of his wife. It's not clear why she's there, even in the first place. If you had to guess, it's because he doesn't trust her on her own. So he like mm-hmm. forced her to come on the boat with him. And so, you know, and there's this one other character who like is kind of the ship boat captain slash guy who's kind of in charge of all like the the grunts and he's always flirting with her and she's rebuking his advances. But of course her husband sees it as legitimate interest and in that she's cheating on him. And she has a thing for like kind of a the geneticist part of the team who disagrees a lot with her husband, but she, mm-hmm. but there's really nothing going on there, which is why at the ending, when they end up together, after the dude just got <laughs> murdered, he's kind of like, yeah, that was a bit awkward. Um, was, it almost felt like they had to be like, we had to, almost felt like they had to have like a button at the end. Like, we had to resolve this, which is weird, because I don't think they really needed to. No, they didn't need to end the movie, like, going home together. Um, that was a bit awkward but like i still thought it was an interesting idea right like even if the it was a bit sloppily done i actually felt like the portrayal of the brain surgeon i don't know anyone's name these movies the the brain surgeon they don't matter um i thought the portrayal of the brain surgeon's possessiveness was actually well done that's uh william martin yeah i i felt like he did come across to me because he was an asshole to his wife and she was like mm-hmm. pushing away from him because he was being rude to her and that made him suspicious of her. And, and, you know, it was kind of like a cycle that kept building. Um, I think they did belabor it too much. I think you're right. I think, I don't know, a couple of things. I think the Gilman is such an iconic design. Changing the Gilman's look is really a bold idea. And I thought the look of the new costume was that. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I even think it was cool. There's something, it's just, these movies are not like full camp, right? Just because like there's like rubber suits and stuff. I, I don't I don't find them particularly like campy, but I think there's a, a vaguely campy idea about like wrapping the gill man in like medical bandages and having like a <laughs> reveal of his face. There's something really funny slash provocative about it. And so yeah. like, stuff like that, I think, is when this movie comes to life. I think all that stuff, where they're like trying to humanize him and then like changing the design, and he kind of becomes a little bit more human, but like he's not really. They just kind of took up all like it's almost like they like smoothed out his uh, his body and like a Instagram filter or something. It's kind of what it's, <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what the new suit looks like. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. But like, I didn't like the new suit, and so that hurt the movie. I thought. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The eyes and, look really weird. Yeah. And, and when you break it down, this movie doesn't really have much of a plot. Um, Not really. And so, like, 
by the time at the end of the movie where like the the main brain surgeon murders the shipboat captain who his wife wasn't even interested in uh it, it feels like this this should have happened like a half hour sooner into the movie like um and i think i think part of the problem is they they wanted the brain surgeon to seem like a reasonable guy at first that he was like driven to murder from his own like like they really wanted to build up his decision to murder this dude, but mm-hmm. like it felt so inevitable. Like you could see where the movie was coming a mile away. That it, it just kind of like I don't know. It, I agree with you as, as far as that goes. Like it, and the, the interesting like let the creature escape and what happens? Oh, he just goes to the ocean. Like there's no at least in the Revenge of the Creature he escapes and like murders people, right? Yeah, it's almost. It, and Gilman's kind of interesting because I think we might have even talked about this a little bit during the Universal series last year. Um, he's like the only one that doesn't really feel like it's fair to call him like a monster. I mean, Frankenstein is also kind of a complicated guy, but like Dracula kills people. Invisible Man kills people. Like Phantom of the Opera, he has his reasons, but he kills people. Like the mummy. Gilman wants, the mummy kills people. But like <laughs> Gilman Hodge wants to be left alone. Like Mm-hmm. So it's always felt unfair to lump them into like ah all the monsters were gonna come to get you. It's like if you just leave them alone, the old man is not gonna come get you. Um, yeah, I mean he killed so a like, couple I, people. I, I will say he killed a couple people who like did nothing wrong, right? Like at the beginning of the first movie, there were just people who were just like digging at a site. They didn't even know he, like he was there and he killed them. Then you had those two college mm-hmm. kids who just like stopped their car to try to help somebody. You know they just right. saw someone lying on the beach. Yeah. And so I'll say, Gilman, you know, he's not he's not completely innocent here. He's just murdering people for his own. He's an that's animal. Fair. So uh, I mean, but still, yeah, you know. yeah, that's fair. That's but at the same time, I feel like even here he's a little neutered because, like, yeah, he gets he, he gets he, out. He's, he's definitely like, neutered. I'm yeah, just going back to the ocean. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah. Or like he gets put in the zoo and he just stands there. He just stands there. He just yes. stands there. He doesn't do anything. I was expecting, it's weird, like, I was almost expecting more agency from Gilman in this. Like, it, there's kind of, so there's no tension, really. So it's all in the hands of, like, this uh, human love triangle. And, you know, I think a common complaint when it comes to, like, Godzilla movies or, like, monster movies or whatever, and, like, they load it up with, like, human plots. is like, who needs the stories about these human people? Just give me 90 minutes of Godzilla. Well, that doesn't actually work. You would, you would actually hate, like, a 90-minute movie of just Godzilla, like, you kind of need a story somewhere. So I don't mind that they kind of put it in the hands of these three human characters. That's fine. But it just, if it's not, if it's not investing to me personally as a viewer, and then Gilman's not going to do much of anything, that's a real problem. At least, at least for me as an audience member watching this. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are invested in it, then that changes things a little bit. I will say, I, I like the first half of this movie better than the second half for me. Um, I thought there were some cool sequences with Gilman in the first half. And, and then like when they were setting things up with like the left triangle, I'm like, okay, this is kind of interesting. There's some actual interpersonal conflict. Not everyone's getting along. You have some legitimate like philosophical debates about like the nature of kindness and humanity. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, like something, something, something interesting. And then I just, I did feel like as soon as they captured Gilman, and I'm, and the the image of him like in the body cast was kind of you're right it's kind of funny in a in a campy way, mm-hmm. um, but I just felt like you started like the movie kind of like started like losing it after that though, 
you know, because then they go to the zoo and then you're just standing there. And then like, they spent all this time trying to convince you that the brain surgeon's gonna be willing to kill that dude. When I was already there 20 minutes ago. Um, right. And yeah, so for me, I, I legitimately enjoyed the first half of this movie. That's and, fair. It's interesting because I, to me, I, I, and I realize there's a good, there's a good kind of argument that I'm about to say here. I kind of wanted them to just get to the titular thing. I wanted the creature to start walking among us. Now, I will point out, of course, one of the best movies you've reviewed on this on this podcast period is Bride of Frankenstein. And that titular character doesn't show up until there's like 45 seconds left to go. And But the rest of the movie kind of builds all up to that. So it's like this... It's almost like a movie. It's all set up and then you get to the punchline. You're like, of course. And I feel like the human stuff is just to have the idea of we got to humanize them. And then once they kind of get there, it, just, it took too long to get there. And then there was like no real purpose. So I think in that sense, I agree with you. I think the first half is better because I almost feel lost in my thought here a little bit. The first half is better because I think it's almost like a different movie. It's not the movie that I would, the title promised, but I do think it's a better movie. Um, but in a sense, the first half is frustrating because it doesn't really set up the second half. Does that make any sense at all? I hear, it's yeah, okay if the answer is no. <laughs> you think I hear what you're saying. The, nothing in the first half of the movie sets up things for the Gill Man at the very least, right? All the Gill Correct. Man. Correct. Yeah, for Gill, for Gill Man, yes. Yeah, he's just being hunted. You could have also easily just started out like the first second movie did, the Gill Man being captured, and then you could have spent all 80 minutes of the movie like actually looking into like what happens when you make him more human and actually have some tension as far as like, is he going to kill people still? Because even like, you didn't get to, you, you, you kind of believe the main geneticist here, right? That like, okay, Gilman's not going to kill anybody if he's not threatened. Because mm-hmm. you know, he kind of just stood there for a while. And he did right. attack some people when he was on the boat, but that also made sense because he was scared and in an unknown setting. You know, you, you, um, it made sense that he would do that there, but like, you know, there's like no sequence where like the dude goes into the cage to try to prove that Gilman's not dangerous anymore. And so he goes in without any help and it's like, oh, is the Gilman going to attack him or not? You know what I mean? Like, I felt like there, there were, and you didn't have to do exactly something like that, but there was really not a lot of drama around if Gilman is still actually dangerous. There's conversation, but no drama. I I totally agree. Uh, and I think even him just like standing there could be a source for tension. I know we're kind of laughing about it. Like he just kind of stands there and doesn't do anything. But yeah, to your point, it's like, is he, is he standing there because he's docile or is he planning something? And he's just waiting for like, how, how intelligent is he becoming? Like how human is he becoming? I think when they play with that stuff a little bit, even if it's just in conversation where they're talking about like him, yearning for water is that him learning or is that him remembering those are two different things and i think um all that stuff is interesting i think i was expecting the whole second half to be like all that and instead right. it kind of became about jed and dr bowman or whatever and it's just mm-hmm. like now i feel like it's lost its way a little bit this yeah. this is where human this is where human story gets in the way right exactly I mean, the second half became more about the human story when like like, honestly, like, if midway through the movie, if the brain surgeon just, like, murdered that guy, would you even, like, thought twice about it, given how the first half went? Uh, probably not. <laughs> exactly. Like, because 
you know, what happened, of course, is he sees the, the shipbo captain and his wife swimming. And of course, she didn't invite the shipbo captain. She was just going for a swim herself. And the dude just showed up. Right. right. He, he's kind of a tool, like intentionally. Like, he's constantly mm-hmm. like flirting with her, I think, because he, he thinks it's kind of funny, I think. Yeah, he's <laughs> like know? overt. He doesn't yeah. look like the whole movie. He like, does yeah. it from the jump, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they're putting on swimsuits and he's like, trying to help her out but from like behind he's like wrapping his arms around her like it's, oh that's right i forgot it's like that. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's right from the very beginning um which is fine right because it's a source of tension but no yeah no i like all that stuff yeah that works um and so like the the brain surgeon goes to the guy's room and says all right he like has a gun in his pocket and he's like all right uh you're getting out of here you're leaving so he's not going there to murder him necessarily you know it's on his mind so like even you probably just brought the gun as a threat right Correct. I thought it was just yeah. It's, the it's movie a, does kind of escalate it really quickly, so I just kind of thought like, yeah, he's just he's a he's an intense guy, and it kind of felt yeah. like I kind of felt like the riverboat cat, riverboat captain, you know, Jet, whatever his name is, yeah, Jet, I think, kind of um, flirting with his wife, it kind of like touched a nerve of something that was already boiling, like before the movie even started, right? Right, like, right, exactly. I, I like that, and I like that too. Like, there's like some there's like some implied history between this married couple that isn't isn't necessarily positive i like that i think that's mm-hmm. kind of almost bold for a movie like this i agree yeah and then but yeah they just like, like, then, like i said it, it felt like it was already there halfway through the movie and then, then they felt they needed like just keep going to justify it when and then the movie just kind of ends like the movie was about the love triangle it wasn't yes. about gilman gilman was the subplot the jealous love triangle was the a plot and that's why I felt like it was lacking, and it's why it's kind of like a kind of a sour note for the Universal monster movies, at least the uh, the classic version. I mean, <laughs> doesn't get much better from here. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I like uh, the Brendan Fraser mummy, but yeah, go on. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, the yeah the first the first mummy especially is a great movie. It's a great great movie. But, uh, and, and you know what, Tom Cruise mummy is a great movie. Too. I I didn't see it. Uh, I will say this: the Dark Universe is an easy watch because it's one movie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you're ever looking to knock that out, um, yeah. No, so it's it's okay. It's not a disaster, but it doesn't even have like the uh, the competent sheen that Revenge of the Creature has. Even though I definitely agree with you, I think there's a interesting idea, a better idea at its core than Revenge of the Creature. I think it's a better starting point for a sequel than Revenge of the Creature. Uh, does and it does have its virtues uh this is the one right where like they uh they, was it well ooh, i'm not sure wait a minute i might be thinking of a son from revenge of the creature which one do they set gilman on fire this one okay yeah i like that uh, again, yeah that was a cool sequence the, yeah yeah there's there's two big sequences in the first half of the movie that i thought were really well done the first one when they go for a dive and they mm-hmm. kind of accidentally stumble onto the creature right and mm-hmm. the um, what's her name gets the girl gets yeah, Marsha, I think. Marcia, yeah. yeah, she gets kind of like uh, you know, the pressure gets to her. It's, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, that scene on the boat and they're tracking him and he shows up and they light him on fire. Yeah, all that was um, was pretty good. And the other stunt I liked doesn't doesn't Gilman get attacked by a bobcat or something in like the yeah, like that's, the last that's the thing? climax, right? And that yeah. That that you know kind of coincides with what's his name, killing the shipboat captain. Yeah, Barton killing Jet. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I like that too. It's again, um, 
this is the fifties. I mean, it's not the twenties, but it's not. It's, it's, I don't think that stunt work is necessarily like the tight knit ship that it might be now. So it kind of it looked to me like they just kind of put um, the land Gilman actor in a Don McGowan in the suit, and they said, "All right, we're unleash the Bobcat." <laughs> Yeah. So it's kind of visceral in that way. Um, yeah, stuff like th- it's not, this movie isn't a disaster. I just didn't like it as much as Revenge of the Creature, I think is what it comes down to for me. Um, but you know, uh, it's not, the, it's certainly not the worst movie we've covered on this, uh, <laughs> on this show. Rico Browning, again, uh, I think kind of leads the way with the swimming and, um, yeah, I think we didn't have like the professionalism with the the underwater, the stunts, and also just like the gliding around and kind of like being comfortable in the suit. I think these movies could have been. I only know they would have made two sequels or one sequel, let alone two. But I think I think I think Rico Browning's like the secret sauce with all three of these a little bit. Um, he makes that he makes that Gil Man creepy. He does. And and the underwater setting is a big part of what makes the creature cool. And when you uh, take him away from that setting and make him part human, he's not as interesting. Even though it's an interesting idea, just the way they did it wasn't interesting. You almost feel like the human... This almost felt like you needed to have like a three-act structure. So it's kind of like a two-act structure, right? Like there's a, Agreed. There's a lagoon and then like human stuff. This almost needs to be like the, the, him walking among us would be like the 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 kind of middle middle part of this movie, and then he kind of makes his return to the lagoon. I think that might have made it stronger. I mean, in so much as I ever know what I'm talking about with this kind of stuff, <laughs> I think that 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 could have helped it. They just kind of stole Revenge of the Creatures set up a little bit. Yeah, I agree. The, the third act would have been better here. Um, I guess you also, could you, you could yeah. make an argument for the three act structure in this movie actually. The first. Act, First act, they're hunting. Second act yeah. is when he's in the cast and they're like celebrating because they captured him. And the third act is when they go to uh, Sausalito, right? Yeah, Sausalito. Right? And you can make an argument for three acts there, but it needed yeah, something else at the end. You could, yeah. I think I think an act is defined like the, an act is just defined as a once a. Uh, once a character makes a decision that they can't turn back from, that's kind of like the end of an act. So I think in that sense, like they catch, they, they get to the Gill man, no going back from there. And then they, they turn him human. <laughs> no. So yeah, I, right. guess, I guess you could argue it's three acts. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see that. Uh, maybe it was just the wrong three acts <laughs> or something. Um, I'm sure we talked about this with the actual, um, Creature in the Black Lagoon episode, uh, which everyone should go back and listen to. It's a good episode. Does it does it bother you at all? Do you like it? Does it not? A, no, no problem whatsoever. That um, I think this is the only Universal monster movie to have a different name in the movie than in the title. They don't call him Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the movie's not called Gill Man. That's true. Um, does that bother? Does that bother you at all, or does? <laughs> No. I guess Creature of the Black Lagoon is a better title. Like, it is. Yeah, Gilman of the Black sucks. Lagoon doesn't pop as much. Right. In fact, they never uh, call him Gilman in the first movie, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I don't... I can't speak with confidence on that, but I kind of feel like he might have just been unnamed. He was just... Yeah, he was just a creature. It wasn't until the sequel when 
they had to have the news talk about him. They brought him to the zoo. They had to give him a name. Yeah, they actively call him Gilman. Um, and it's more of an observation. Like, I'm kind of trying to turn to a question. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think about like, the mummy. I guess the, I guess the mummy. Up, I guess. Up, but he no. is also a mummy. His name is... Yeah, but they don't, yeah, I guess they don't really call him the mummy. But, um, yeah. Dracula, 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 Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess... Um, well, Frankenstein. Frankenstein are names. The Invisible Man, Mummy, and Wolfman are, uh, and Phantom of the Opera, are all kind of occupations. Well, <laughs> Not occupations. Phantom, but, but like, well, what they are. Yeah. Creature. They're descriptive words, yeah. The creature and Gilman are kind of within the both guy, yeah. He doesn't have a name, though. I, He's just a creature. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's arguable if Frankenstein, if it just gets the age old question of is Frankenstein the scientist or the uh, monster? But technically, I mean, if you wanted to be a literary scold, I guess um, Frankenstein uh, should be called Frankenstein's monster. Um, I choose not to be because I know everyone knows what we're talking about. So I think it kind of doesn't matter. But I think we did talk about this a little bit last, last year. And I think where I landed on it was Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein is his father. Mm-hmm. And so his son gets his last name, and so yes. Frankenstein's monster is his, his surname is Frankenstein, like they're both Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, I th- I th- I think that that works out perfectly. I think people just like to be able to be like, actually, yeah, 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 but um, it's the spirit. It's it's Halloween, everybody. It's not in the spirit of the season. We when we say Frankenstein, no one thinks of a guy in a lab coat. They think of <laughs> green guy with bolts in his neck. So just you know, chill out. Uh, I guess we unless you have any other thoughts about the creature walks among us. I guess we can rate this one. Oh, good. And uh, we can prep next week. Uh, I think you go first on this one. Okay, um, I will give it. Six and a half creatures in a body cast out of ten. Ooh, ooh, six and a half creatures out of ten. I'm gonna go lower. I'm gonna <laughs> go a little less than average. I'm gonna go four and a half creatures in a four body cast. Wow, that's a big yeah. gap. It is a know. big gap. I didn't. I didn't have a good time. I mean, it, again, I think maybe if Jack Arnold had come back, that's the other thing. Maybe if Jack Arnold had directed this, if he'd come back to finish his trilogy, it might have been worth an extra point, an extra creature in a uh, cast for me. <laughs> but uh, it just it. Throughout everything else, it was just kind of boring. I think that I think that was yeah. the worst part about it. I hear, I I hear what you're like saying. Experience. No, and that's fair. I mean, that's the same reason I rated Revenge so low. I think for me, I just liked the first half of this movie a lot, just personally. And uh, even though I found the second half very disappointing, um, there's still some interesting things in there, like the creature in the body cast. That's why yeah. I'm getting uh, higher for me than, than I... Revenge. No shame in that, my friend. No shame in that. Um, it was more of a treat for you, and it was more of a trick for me. See? <laughs> Halloween. Got him. All right. Well, that's technically the last of the uh, Universal Monster movies, but that's not the last of our series. Not by a long shot. Uh, I guess we can tease next week. Um, we're going to be going back 15 years to uh, 1940. Uh, the we're going to be doing an Invisible Man sequel double feature. Uh, that would be 1940s. Let's see. I don't have the years in front of me. Um, okay, but we just, what, are the, what are the names of the movies? Um, yeah, the two movies we'll be doing are The Invisible Man Returns with Vincent Price, by the way. Excited for that. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a bad, not a bad uh, lateral move from Claude Rains to Vincent Price, and then the Invisible Woman, which I didn't even know existed. Um, but maybe it's time to have a Invisible Woman. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Um, it will not be played by Jessica Alba. I don't think. I don't think it's that <laughs> Invisible Woman. Um, we'll, we'll have to find out. It'd be incredible if it was. Yeah, it, it would be. It would be miraculous. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you like what you heard, uh, we have mentioned that we did a whole batch of these last year. You can find those in our archives uh, <laughs> on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Check those out if you want to like go back and re-listen again, or if you want to kind of get a baseline for these sequels. Uh, watch along with us. You can find us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at PC Historians, and of course, there's our website, popculturehistorians.wordpress.com. No life lessons for these, which is just as well. I mean, I guess the life lesson would be uh, don't turn Gilman, into, don't turn Creatures in Black Lagoon into uh, humans, I guess. But that's, that's and don't more like a, in an yeah. aquarium, right? Yeah. Just yeah, leave him alone. You know. Just leave him, just don't go to the Black Lagoon, right? Like, yeah. Just... And if you're, oh, and if you're a riverboat captain, don't touch other people's wives. <laughs> just don't do that in general, too, right? But especially yeah, riverboat captains, yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that, that goes for everybody. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, excited to uh, finally be here in the, the Halloween season. And I hope you uh, join us as we go through all of these movies. Invisible Man double feature next week. With many more to come after that. Uh, my name is Ryan. That was Jimmy. Together we are the Pop Culture Historians. And we're signing off for another week. Catch you next time.